Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Chris Montalvo with Mirabal Montalvo & Associates in Corpus Christi, Texas. Last year, he closed 190 transactions with a total sales volume of $30 million. His average sales price was $157,000, of which 30% were buyers and 70% were sellers. He has a nine-member team, two buyer agents, one listing agent, one REO coordinator, one assistant, one assistant's assistant, one bookkeeper, one Facebook advertiser, and one team leader. Chris Montalvo is the team leader of the Chris Montalvo Group. He's been an agent for 13 years. In his best year, Chris sold 236 homes worth $32 million. In this call, Chris talks about getting his license at 18 years old after failing the exam seven times, starting in a small office with limited guidance, moving to a productive office and opening his eyes to the possibilities, buying his first home and renting out the rooms to friends to cover the cost, negotiating with a top REO agent to put Chris's phone number on the top agent's yard signs in exchange for a referral fee, finding his niche by helping investors purchase rental properties, investing his own money in distressed real estate and building cash flows, personally flipping 60 homes in one year and paying big taxes, building a personal portfolio of 160 homes by his 30th birthday, his investment formula and calculation for buying rentals, how he finds homeowners willing to sell for 70 cents or less on the dollar, why he focuses on cash flows and high cap rates, working with new investors to create rental portfolios and wealth, his five-well business development strategy, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Chris. Glad to be here. Hey, Chris, great to have you here today. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Very interesting journey. When I was in high school, I was in the work program. So my junior year, I graduated early, started college. And um, prior to that, I uh, started working in the restaurant business, actually, when I was about 15 and 17 and 18, actually, when you think about it. Um, I worked for this Italian restaurant, and uh, they uh, paid me way too much money to bus tables. It was just it was a high-end restaurant, and uh, those guys were just brutal. I was on a work program in school. I'd get out at 12 and grab something to eat, and then I'd go to work at 2. So I was working 40 hours a week as a kid, and I don't even think that's legal <laughs> when you think about it. But nonetheless... I like making money, you know, and uh, it was a fun job. And those guys 
they labeled me a DRA, a dining room attendant. And, uh, you know, bus tables and, you know, during the week I'd make a hundred bucks and, you know, for a 15 year old, that's crazy money. So I had a worker's permit for my life. So I was able to, uh, buy a car in an early age and, you know, grew up very poor. So I just, uh, I've always wanted to have nice things. And so when I was working in the restaurant business, they'd have me do all kinds of stuff. They would have me, you know, bus tables. If the dishwasher didn't show up, wash dishes. I mean, pretty much whatever they told me to do, I would do it. And, you know, as a, a dumb kid, one day I uh, listened to the dishwasher and uh, we uh, broke in the back and took some beer and it ended up being a non-alcoholic old duel. <laughs> I took it to a party and I remember everybody made fun of me. It was hilarious. So when they found out, they like made me like a permanent dishwasher. It was pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> I had a car payment, you know, I had to make that payment. But I was young and dumb and always getting in trouble. But, you know, I always worked hard. You know, my parents always worked hard. And I just always instilled that in uh, that work ethic in anything I did. But I remember one summer I did telemarketing. And it was the worst experience. It was one of the hardest mental experiences of my entire life. It was just horrendous. I was 16 years old, and I remember doing it three months, and polished me up. I mean, it really just, I mean, just butchered my mentality, uh, just, you know, cold calling. It was just absolutely insane. I mean, hats off anybody that does telemarketing. Um, but uh, every time you make a sale, you get an extra dollar on your spec. And so I was just knocking it out. I had a name um, every time I'd call. I remember my name was Matt Agon. And uh, it was really interesting, but, you know, uh, just mentally, it was exhausting. I mean, you know, there's physical labor and then there's mental labor, and that mental labor just wore me out, silly. So, I mean, I just just remember that summer just uh, being just absolutely brutal. But nonetheless, long story short, kind of fast-forwarding, I was in college. I was working at several jobs, waiting tables on the weekends. Uh, I was a bar back on the weekends, uh, waiting tables during the week, going to college. And I ran into my aunt who owned a real estate company growing up and I absolutely hated real estate, everything about it. So my parents would work um, and my aunt would babysit me during the day. My aunt would hang out with this lady, Claire, and Claire Curtis was her name. And they would smoke these long, thin, mint cigarettes. <laughs> We'd drive around the Lincoln Town car and it was absolutely horrible. You know, I was, gosh, eight, nine, ten. And uh, I called her clairvoyant. She always knew what I was thinking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd, I've always been ADHD, and uh, she would always tell me, Chris, you think too much. But I remember always going to Claire's, and uh, she had this high-rise condo with this thick, white, flesh carpet. And it smelled like cigarettes, and there was cats everywhere. And I just hated, I dreaded hanging out with uh, my Aunt Barry and Claire. But uh, it seems like, all they would do all day is drive around and go to garage sales and barter. And it was just my mindset of real estate was completely different. Um, I hated it. I absolutely hated everything about it. And uh, so as soon as I was old enough to work, you know, I uh, kind of broke off and hadn't spoken with my aunt in years. So when I was 17, I ran into my aunt at uh, Denny's and uh, she uh, just encouraged me, you know, to get my license and, 
I said, you know, how's Claire? She's like, oh, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, she's dead. <laughs> oh, no. It was just, uh, <laughs> now she lived a good life, you know, but nonetheless, uh, I uh, started working towards getting my license, met a good buddy of mine in real estate school, and it was hard for me to obtain that license because I worked all the time, so I was in this fast track program. I remember uh, bar backing on the weekends, getting out, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, and literally having to go to class at 8, and these uh, fast track courses are, you know, from 8 to 6, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so... I mean, I would sleep through half of them, and uh, everybody in class would give me a hard time. Uh, and they were much older, of course. I was about to turn 18, and uh, my aunt was really close friends with the um, the instructor. And I'll never forget asking the instructor, I was like, hey, do you think um, you seem doing, you know, very well in real estate? You know, I think I'll be successful. And I'll never forget the look she gave me. She, uh, she looked at me, and she was like, well, Chris, and she sighs, and he was just like, you know, if you uh, put some mind to it, I, 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 maybe you can. Uh, pretty much tell me, <laughs> no, you're not going to, you're wasting your time. <laughs> and uh, nonetheless, you know, I got through it. Um, it's kind of hard to fail courses. And I failed my real estate exam seven times. It was, I mean, I'm talking, I mean, there's like idiots that passed it on the first round. I just had a lot going on and. <laughs> it was just uh, it was very frustrating, but I was living in this one-bedroom apartment on my buddy's couch, working all these jobs, going to college, and then trying to obtain this license. It was just so difficult. And I'll never forget um, that seventh go-round, I finally passed it. And it was nice. It was a relief. You know, uh, it was great to just get it over with. But uh, the biggest wasn't the test. The biggest challenge was the environment I was in. I showed up to work the next day in my uh, aunt's real estate office, small firm, and uh, it was called Open House Realty at the time. And uh, there was another young guy there, cool guy. Um, but uh, I'd show up, nobody was at the office. You know, I was gung-ho, ready to go, and I uh, didn't know the first thing about real estate or what to do, how to start, how leads work, anything. And so I got a little discouraged and uh, did everything I could. A friend that I had made in real estate school had uh, worked for uh, this up-and-coming company that had 50-plus realtors. It was called Maribel Reed and Associates. And uh, they were just rocking and rolling. The market was good. This was 13 years ago. And uh, it was up before the crash. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, man, you know, a lot of great energy over there. And every time I'd go to the office, it was just stale, a lot of negative energy. Everybody was flipping to the real estate book. They'd say, ah, oh, well, you know, she only has listings because she's sleeping with the builder. You know, just a bunch of haters. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> and so I was on the verge of quitting. I just said, you know, this isn't for me. And my, uh, my buddy that I'd made in realty school encouraged me to jump ship and uh, join uh, Maribel Reagan Associates and, you know, at the time, I felt really bad. The reason why I'm in real estate is because of my aunt. And, but then again, she wasn't teaching me anything, and I'd stuck it out four or five months. It was awful, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So nonetheless, I jumped ship and started working with Maribel Reed. Surrounded myself with a bunch of just 
up-and-coming wise counsel. I mean, just heavy hitters, people that had developers, people that had monster investors. I mean, they completely opened my eyes to everything. And I'll never forget, I was in a car with four or five of them and was at the car before, and there was a Priscilla owner on this one street. I was going to Quebec. I'll never forget. I was, I, uh, I didn't even know how to dress back then. I was off. It was just crazy. They're like, and this one guy, Jerry, uh, Jerry Lewis, he's a, he's a funny guy, a fast talker. He was like, you know, Chris, you need to get aggressive. Why don't you call that fellow owner and convince him to listen to you? And I was like, well, what do I do? And he was like, call him and tell him why you're the best and why we're the best. And, and you just convince him to sell with us. Do what you got to do. I was like, you know what? All right. <laughs> so I called that Priscilla owner and convinced him to list with me. <laughs> and then I started calling a bunch of owners and, uh, in business and real estate, they say you don't list, you don't last. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that because with inventory, buyers come to you. Um, I'm at a point, you know, where I'm very blessed. I get a ton of referrals and I have a really good team and we all work together and I share the spread. You know, the numbers are there because, you know, we all work diligently to get them there. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I'm not greedy. I just kind of wet my beak in every department and uh, I uh, just started rock and rolling, you know, I became a rookie of the year. And I, I remember my partner now, James Maribald, was, we had an, a monthly update board. It was a huge whiteboard. And you would update it with your new listings. You would update it with pending listings. Everything for that month. And it would start fresh the next month. So I remember uh, that month I had four listings. I thought I was hot shit. You know, I was just like on cloud nine, working my butt off. And then James comes in and he puts, uh, the listings were in red and the sales were in green. And James puts probably $3 million on the board ending. And I'm thinking to myself, how did he sell $3 million in real estate in one month? Like, like I can't fathom selling so many houses and how do they do it? How do he get so much in escrow in less than one month? Or just simultaneously, he'd have 10 to 15 in escrow all the time thought to myself, that is impressive. Like, how did I ask him, like, James, how do you do it? And he, he was so busy and say, Chris, uh, here, listen to the CD. And yeah, it was a Rich Dad, Poor Dad CD and a couple of Donald Trump CDs. And Gary Reed was the other partner. He was more of the, James was the workhorse. Reed was more so uh, the office manager. Slash, I mean, he was the guy that kept all the agents happy. Because, you know, in brokerages, they're high maintenance, real estate agents. You got to keep them happy and kiss their butt. We don't believe in those principles anymore. That's why we say we peak, but our numbers are so high, we're still number one because of volume. You know, we just, if we're overwhelmed, we get more staff. But uh, because these agents, they're independent contractors one day anyway when they get too big for their britches. So I put God first place and uh, I just stay focused on, you know, faith. And, and I, I was just really, really determined that my first real mentor. He was an attorney that went through a nasty divorce and wife took everything, didn't have uh, any kids or anything. And uh, instead of uh, practicing law, he was like, you know what, I'm going to open up a, a mortgage company. So uh, he opened up a mortgage company with my business partner, James Maribel. And uh, so I'd see this guy every day and I felt the urge to invest. So I'd tell him, you know what, let's invest, let's invest, let's invest every day. And I didn't know the first thing about how to get the money for investing. And I was very good about saving money. And Finally, he was like, you know what, Chris, I'll invest with you. Start a company. Um, I'll get us some money. I mean, he didn't have any money. I saved up 
I don't know, four or $6,000. She saved us about the same. And we had a banker friend that gave us two unsecured lines of credit for 15000 so when we scrounged up our cash together on the first deal, we bought a house, 40 grand, and then we did a cash out refi, put it in the rental pool, and we were able to get our money back out, and uh, whatever was in excess, throw it back in the pot, and we just kept doing that. And because he was an attorney, he was a professional, banks, you know, wouldn't blend the money all day long. So we did that, I stayed lean, and I pretty much practiced what I preached. You know, the first thing I did was I bought a house. Could I afford that house? Absolutely not. So I had roommates. <laughs> and I uh, started buying a bunch of uh, real estate, you know, at good prices. And uh, nonetheless, when we severed our business partnership, I, uh, I was bought out of everything, but I had the liquidity, and that's when the market just tanked. And so I took all the principles that I knew, and I reapplied it, and just reinvested, but in an even more aggressive market. I was exposed prior to that to a bunch of arrogant developers, investors. I mean, people thought, you know, the good times would roll forever, but I had a weird feeling that things were going to crash. So I just prepared for it. So when the market had crashed, I just started just buying and rocking and rolling. And I remember uh, I bought a bunch of properties and I couldn't refinance them without my tax return being complete. And the one thing lacking was a K-1 from that business partnership that I had. And out of spite, my old business partner wouldn't release it. Long story short, you know, the market had crashed. Uh, I was always inspired to be you know, broke for the company. Our broker had literally died the month I got my license as uh, one of the youngest brokers in Texas. And uh, we just started losing agents left and right. People were jumping ship. You know, the market had really tanked. And uh, we went from... 50 agents to 10 or something. I don't quite remember, but nonetheless, I couldn't refine my properties, so all my cash was out. So I was in a very, very tight financial position. My business partner, everything. We had, I mean, we hit rock bottom, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I wanted to be a partner of the firm, and uh, they were tied into a franchise, a GMAC franchise, because I owned 5%. I was tied into the lawsuit. It was a big mess. So we had hit rock bottom. I mean, it was just depressing, but I, I didn't have a choice. I had an assistant. I, I had bills to pay. I was 20 years old, and I started just scrapping as much as I possibly can to sell. And so I was selling like crazy, and I started uh, selling a bunch of this uh, guy's foreclosures. And it was an older man, uh, him and his wife, a one-stop shop. And... Uh, they uh, were very rude to real estate agents and brokers and very savvy in the real estate uh, foreclosure world. Like they had all the, all the foreclosures. So I started selling all this stuff and uh, we became friends and I told them, hey, look, I don't aspire to be an REO broker or anything, um, but I have a proposition for you. Why don't you put my number on all your listings? I can't leave my company because I'm the broker for it and because I'm a broker, I can do whatever I want. Why don't you put my number on all your foreclosures and I can sell them if people call because I can sell on a hell of a seller, you know, and they won. So they did that and their uh, inventory tripled because I started selling all their stuff. And uh, it was very successful. Everything I'd sell, I'd put in my 
not only uh, get rid of their inventory, but I would I would pay them a percentage, like a 25% referral fee for allowing me to put my number on their listing. I told them, whatever you do, though, we have a really good thing going. Let's, let's just keep the system going. Don't hire a bunch of agents, and let's just keep it going because I can move this inventory for you. So anyway, they did the opposite. They started making a bunch of money, and they got real cocky. And um, I literally I had no desire to get into the REO business. I was always told, you know, you have to have 30 years experience, blah, blah, blah. And he was a great guy, but his wife was very greedy. And anyway, they started hiring a bunch of agents thinking, well, you know, Chris can do it. Anybody can do it. And uh, so it kind of severed that relationship. And I was so upset, so like torn because I thought we had a gentleman's agreement. And um, I remember it was a Friday night. Everybody was going out. I stayed in. I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to get into the REO business. So I must have signed up for maybe 100 companies. I Googled my research, everything there was to know about business. And I just cold called. I did everything I could to tap into that business. And then the following week, I get an email. Got my first REO. Boom. That was a reference. Sold that. And I started you know, asking around. You know, taking the asset managers out and uh, really getting me deep in the business. And next thing you know, it uh, within six months, I became the largest REO broker in South Texas. Well, then I got greedy, <laughs> and I started opening up satellite branches in Houston and San Antonio. And it got to a point where I was simultaneously running 150 foreclosures at any given time. They'd call me and say, Chris, can you take this foreclosure in Fumato, Texas? I'd say, yes, sir. You give me a phone, I don't tell you how to take. Big mistake. <laughs> big, big mistake. I, uh, I just couldn't say no. I mean, it, it, was, it was such a privilege to have a foreclosure account. And you got to keep in mind, I have 40, 50 different accounts. But uh, when you tell HUD, for example, they expect, 24-hour turnaround. I mean, no ifs, or buts, timestamp pictures. They expect you to have a team. And I, and I had that team, but my team was getting worn out. And so I had probably 60 assets in Houston, which was three hours away. And I had 50-plus assets in Corpus. And we were just running ragged. But, you know, I was single and I was young and still young. But, you know, like I was rocking and rolling. I was bought a place in Houston. I loved it so much because it was all automated. That was the beauty of it. And I think real estate will inevitably, you know, go to the automated system eventually one day, but it was so easy to sell because it was all automated. So half the stuff, I mean, I would literally go to my mailbox and it would be checks, closings I totally forgot about. So we just started crushing it. And what comes when you have a ton of inventory and your name's all over the place? Everybody wants to use you. Everybody wants to list with you. Everybody wants to use and sell with Chris Montavo and James Maribal. So we had started Maribal, Montavo and Associates and just exploded. We did a uh, part of that, keep in mind. We did exceptionally well. Just before that, we had uh, merged with uh, our biggest competitor for a year to learn commercial real estate on a Grubinellis franchise. And then when that ended, uh, we revamped the Maribal, Montavo company and just rushed it. I mean, it was just out of control. But at the end of the day, I still practice 
everything I preached. I mean, I reinvested my money into real estate and only real estate. So the market, there was blood on the street. I mean, I was buying and flipping and renting and, you know, building up my portfolio because I knew the good times weren't going to last forever. I mean, let's be, let's be realistic. The well always dries up. But I learned, you know, from scripture and, you know, from just going to search, you know, you mm-hmm. have to have multiple streams of income. And with that said, I figured, you know what? Have you ever tried to fill up a swimming pool with one water hose? Six days. Unbelievable. How much gallons of water swimming pool will take. But if you have multiple water hoses going into that pool, cut the time in half. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to take the principles that I learned through, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and the whole rich dad, poor dad, and, and just the mentors I had, you know, the smart ones that were wise, savvy, and uh, create a formula, you know, market heavily toward cash offers for your home, you know, get creative with the ads, the bus benches, the mailers, the billboards, you know, and, and reinvest in myself. And uh, that's exactly what I did. And I uh, really did it really well and, and I've continued, you know, Lord has blessed me in so many ways and I've I've taken other people's mistakes and I've reminded myself not to make the same mistakes. Don't get too big for your britches, don't get greedy, don't go in the fields, you know, there's plenty of business to go around for everybody, which there is. I mean it is impossible for me to take every single referral and I mean now with the REO business, a gentleman that uh, I took in when he was eighteen, seven years ago is my like a brother to me. He and I split the REO stuff 50-50, but he runs the back leg of that show, and now he has his own, you know, portfolio of, of REOs and stuff. I mean, if you're going to be great at something, you got to have a really good foundation. And uh, if I was greedy and I wanted, you know, all the money to myself, et cetera, I would have lost those accounts a long time ago. So now I've dabbled in every single facet of the industry and I continue to dabble in every single facet of the industry and it drives people nuts. The competitors, it drives them nuts because back then it was like, oh, I'm only a high-end real estate agent. I only sell 300000 and up to a million or $2 million or whatever or I only do commercial or I only do land or I'm an expert at this or I'm an expert at that. And I, I believe if you humble yourself and you continue to show $50,000 houses and sell million-dollar hotels, you can do it all. You can be the best at everything. And, and just, if you don't know it all, you know, find someone that's an expert in that field and co-broker the deal with them. You, know, get, you don't have to be greedy because someone will sniff out that you don't know what the hell you're talking about and they will use an expert. You've been in the business. It sounds like you started when you were 17. How many years have you been in the business now? I was licensed at 18. Um, but you know, I got the ball rolling at 17. I'm at 13 years going on 14. And to bring people into today, how many homes did you sell last year? And what was your sales volume? You know, I connect a lot of dots. I, um, I have a lot of wholesalers. I have a lot of investors. I have a lot of people that bring me deals aside from the foreclosures and aside from going to steps and aside from just me finding and scouring the MLS for really good deals. I have people that bring me deals and I take care of them and compensate them, but I spread it around. So I connect other investors with deals that I don't, I don't buy everything. I don't have the means to, and plus I don't have to. And by doing that, the respect level that you get from your investors is insane. Like my investors, 
they don't second guess or they don't question me for anything. They just, all right, Chris, this is the price, no problem, done, do it. You know, it's awesome. And uh, the problem with these wholesalers, you know, a lot of them get greedy and they uh, they want to mark up the contact so much and that's how you ruin relationships. But nonetheless, the reason why the numbers are so high is I connect the dots. You know, I, because I'm, you know, ADD, I can multitask, you know, pretty well, but I, I'm very forgetful. So I'll write down and I'll have my right hand and my left hand people remind me of certain clients looking for certain things. Uh, rule of thumb, I don't show more than four houses to one person in one day. I usually actually have two amazing buyers agents that show my clients houses for me and uh, I'll give them, you know, a uh, big old chunk of the commission. I mean, I'm not, like I said, not greedy, but if my clients are opposed to that, I tell them, look, I would be doing you a complete disservice if I showed you properties because you know how busy I am and how scatterbrained I am. I mean, I would be a complete disservice even if you're a million dollar buyer. I mean, you're just, you know, you're going to get set with me and you're going to use somebody else. So why not give you the best service and let me negotiate the contract and you use somebody from my team uh, that's overly qualified, just like I am. And uh, with that ration, um, I'm able to keep my buyers happy and I'm also able to list retail, uh, list foreclosures, list wholesale, list anything anybody wants to give me to, to sell. You know, they say, give the, give the business to the busy guy. And so that's exactly what I've done and what I continue to do. And so there's certain people that, you know, are just absolutely adamant. They want me to show them, which is fine. But I just, um, by doing that, I create more time for myself. And now I can, you know, play around with flipping houses and play around with buying more investments and getting creative. And, you know, it's just uh, building those banking relationships. And it's really neat. One of the things I like doing best is building portfolios for your average Joe. They have so much money and they're like, man, you know, I would just love to own just five houses, you know, one day. And then after, you know, six months, they own 10. And it's like, how the heck did I get here? And it's not rocket science. It's just uh, guidance, you know, like there's a lot of misguidance out there and it's unfortunate. But, um, you know, it's like I tell them, look, I'm not going to try to knock it out of the park and, you know, burn you like a lot of people would. I need to build this relationship with you so that we can grow together. And honestly, whatever goes around comes around. If I'm going to steal from anybody or burn someone, I mean, I'm going to take the bank down. I'm not going to mess around with peanuts. But that's just, those aren't the principles I was, I was raised with. I don't, I don't believe in doing that. That's just uh, not how I operate. And people know that. So they take it very serious. My understanding is last year you sold about 190 homes worth uh, about $30 million. Does that sound about right? Give or take, maybe a little bit more. The year prior to that, in 2015, that was your best year, and I think you sold something around 236 homes worth $32 million. Does that sound correct? Uh, correct. Could you tell us where is Corpus Christi, Texas? It's south Texas near the beach. It's uh, two hours south of San Antonio three hours south of Austin, three and a half hours south of Houston. It's a quiet beach town near Rockport, Port Aransas. And uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a quiet up and coming city. There's a lot of refinery uh, work and uh, Corpus is a great city. It's been good to me. 
we have the beaches, we have, um, there's been, you know, a ton of gentrification lately. Just, it's just a small, small town that's growing excessively and, you know, it's doing well for itself. Do you know what the population is there? 300,000. I'd like to go into this idea that you just mentioned, the, the investment portfolios. You're, you're helping some folks build those up. Before I go into that side, you mentioned building your own portfolio, and I think everyone would be very interested to hear uh, what you've done there. Could you describe what your current real estate portfolio is? You know, that's the million-dollar question. Everybody always asks me, you know, how many, uh, how many houses do you own now or how many doors do you own now? <laughs> And I always tell them, none of your business. <laughs> but, but, you know, honestly, I truly have lost count. I uh, probably in the 160-unit range. It's amazing. Like, I, I just have been very, very blessed to uh, acquire these houses and keep them. I mean, and uh, it's not rocket science. You just have to pay your taxes, but, you know, like everybody else. Don't do don't the IRS. Pay your taxes and uh, keep with the formula. I always go in 70 cents on a dollar, less material defects. And the only material defects that I take into account are roof, plumbing, foundation, and uh, you know maybe like an HVAC. But because I'm a home builder as well, uh, I don't build specs anymore because there's more spread on rehab. But um, I've taken a lot of the principles that I've learned from home building and I've applied it. And so I can walk into a house and and, you know, guesstimate what it's going to cost to replace a double-layer roof or, you know, to fix foundation or plumbing. I mean, pretty cognizant of what causes a house to shift. You know, clearly it's plumbing. I mean, there's a leak somewhere. And, uh, you know, just stuff I've learned over the years. It's always good to, to be out in the field and, and hands-on and learn from contractors. I can, you know, uh, drive uh, any of my dump trailers to the dump and dump them all day long, and it's amazing the stuff you learn from these guys. And you, uh, it's amazing the markup on construction is insane. So if you don't keep track and stay on top of, you know, what the going rate is, uh, that's how people get taken advantage of. And uh, I've been very uh, blessed, very lucky not. Um, I mean, I've been burned, don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, as much as other people have, I've been one of the lucky ones to, to avoid getting burned from contractors. Let's talk about that formula uh, real quick because I'm sure, again, people would be interested. A lot of people get into real estate because they want to be an investor or they are or they start down that path and then they become a broker. So you said basically your formula is that you purchase 70% of what you think the improved fair market value would be and then you subtract any material defects, the properties you mentioned, the roofs and other things that need to be done to bring it up to standard. So it sounds like you're buying properties that are uh, in need of help, they're deficient in some manner, and then you're going to bring them back up. And then the second part of that is, do you then flip it out or do you rent it out? You know, one year I flipped 60 houses by myself, and it got to a point where my investors asked for help, and next thing I know, I ended up doing all the work flipping their houses. And that's fine and everything. It's just exhausting. You know, dealing with contractors is very, very exhausting. And the worst thing you can do is take advice from an agent or a broker that does not have your best interests. That I had a friend that uh, is an agent, actually a broker in town, and I'll leave his name out; it's irrelevant. But uh, he's very book smart and uh, well educated. You know, uh, 
reads a lot. So he doesn't know anything about assessments. And we would, uh, back when my single days, we'd, uh, you know, be at a bar, meet an investor, and I would start talking about investments one way, and he would start talking about it the other way. But yet, you look at the, the big picture, he didn't own anything, but yet I owned, at the time, you know, a very, very large portfolio of houses. So at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to take advice from anybody, make sure they're legit. And honestly, like, I'm not going to buy a house for someone that doesn't own a house. Just like, uh, you know, when I buy a car, I like for the car salesman to know their stuff. I want to use the best. And uh, when it comes to buying, you know, commercial real estate or just flipping houses, you know, you, you want to learn from people that are actually doing it, not people that are just blowing smoke in the air and saying, you know, hey, this is what the market is. No, I mean, you, you know, you're not going to take marriage advice from, from a playboy, you know. It's the same thing with business. You want to find the best that's in the business and take advice from them. And honestly, if they don't want to give you advice, harass the hell out of them. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> we will we'll get the grease. Do you end up maintaining most of these properties in your portfolio and renting them out? Or do you end up flipping most of them and selling them off? That year that I flipped the 60 plus, I paid so much in a real estate income tax that it made more financial sense to keep. And you would think, oh man, you know, I can't fathom owning so many houses. Like, how do you keep up? Blah, blah, blah. The key is not to manage them yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you find that the best at what they do and you get them to do it for you. I mean, I don't manage my own stuff. I manage maybe 30% of my portfolio from a company that I created in-house, but I don't get involved. And the only reason why I do that is because of leakage. I believe the management company that manages the other 70% of my portfolio means well, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. You know, I started the company, and I don't make a penny off of it, by the way, uh, about 10 years ago. And in order to keep my investors buying and keep them happy, you got to keep them making money. And started that management company, and I told uh, my partner, I was like, look, I don't want a penny off be the broker of it. I just need you to manage my portfolio and all my investors, and you can even charge me. And to this day, he still charges me 8%, but I don't have to deal with that nonsense and deal with chasing people down for peanuts when I can focus on making dollars. You know what I mean? Why trip over the penny to make dollars? And uh, my ration is, you know what? There's going to be stealing. There's going to be leakage. So I count for 10 or 15%. Anything over, we got a problem. Let's talk a little bit more about that acquisition formula. You said you buy 70 cents on the dollar. How are you finding these properties that you're getting at such a great discount? I'm marketing aggressively online on um, bus benches, on billboards. I invest in myself. So while people are blowing their cash on the bigger, better house, you know, I'm investing hundreds of thousands of dollars annually to, um, to keep marketing. I mean, with marketing, you got to keep it consistent. And uh, I'll tell you, my, uh, my strategy has always been invest in marketing and never stop. When you're doing really, really well, uh, it doesn't matter. Keep spending money on that marketing. And I think a lot of people give up after the first three or four months, but that's not how it works. It has to be consistent. You got to change it up. So I get a lot from that. And just honestly, from performance, people want, to hear that, hey, Chris Montalvo actually closes. He's legit. He is, you know, one of the, like, legit investors in town that'll actually buy your stuff. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't like, you know, being strong-armed. But, I mean, if you develop a relationship with him, he'll do you well. 
They treat you well. They let you make your money. You know, you, get, you throw me a bone, I'm not going to tell you how it tastes. So nonetheless, I get a lot of uh, leads. And uh, I always scour the, uh, the market for good deals. I'm always lowballing people. I mean, yeah, I'm always looking. If you focus on finding it, you'll find it. Now, if you're just sitting back and you're waiting, you know, the deal essentially to fall in your lap, I mean, <laughs> chances are going to be unlikely. You got to go looking for it. Chris, what kind of message do you put out there in your marketing, in your on the bus benches and other, you said online? What's the message? What are you saying? Do you say, I buy homes for cash? What's your message? Uh, we buy houses cash, um, but uh, we get extremely creative with like the, um, um, the pictures. Like, for example, there's a picture of uh, my wife and I, and I'm holding a, you know, a bag full of cash, like, you know, superimposed coming out. <laughs> So it's like, it's very humorous, uh, the marketing, but it stands out and it pops. And uh, there's colors. And before that, you know, there was In a Rush to Sell Your Home. And it's a picture of me, like, leaping and my coffee's spilling out in one hand and my briefcase is flying out in the other hand. And, you know, it's just like, this creative marketing. So the pictures are important. Where are you advertising online? And, and again, right now we're talking about how you're generating these leads for your portfolio. And then we'll expand that into your brokerage. But where are you advertising online using all these pictures and so forth? You know, there's so many different facets online, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of good social media. There's a lot of good, um, you know, I'm not even tech savvy, but my cousin is, who's in real estate. And so I just pretty much invest in him to invest in the marketing side of like the internet and he goes after all kinds of um, all kinds of different avenues with social media, with, uh, you know, Google, with um, Google ads, I mean, you name it. Um, I got another guy that focuses on, you know, mailers, uh, mailers, bus benches, um, uh, word of mouth. It's like, you know, going back to that analogy of filling up a pool, same thing with marketing, you know, if I have six different, you know, hoses of marketing, in a pool, I'm going to fill up that pool pretty fast. So um, whenever I hear something fresh, something new, you know, I'll jump on it. It makes sense financially. Now, you've mentioned that you've taken this expertise of building your own portfolio and you've expanded it out to generate investors for your brokerage side of your business, some who have never invested before, and I assume others who have, and you're helping them do what you've done, and then you receive a brokerage commission for helping them achieve that. How are you finding these people who either are investors or want to be investors? They come to me, you know, and if they're serious, they harass me. <laughs> they, uh, it's amazing. You know, you do, you do right to one person and they will advertise for you like no other. And, uh, I get a lot of people. And even if it's a regular cold call, you know, I genuinely want to help people. Like, I grew up very, very poor. Um, you know, my parents were amazing and are amazing still. And, uh, you know, when my dad, uh, when they shut down the plant at the Buttercrust factory, he didn't take uh, unemployment. Like, he went back to work and he would drive San Antonio and work, you know, 40, 70 hours that week and spend time on the weekends with us for a year. And that guy was so worn out. I have off and commend him for that. I, I just, there is no excuse for being lazy. And, you know, people are 
praying and, and asking the Lord to bless them financially and all that. But I feel like, you know, God wants to help and God loves us all. The thing is, when you're lazy and you just want a handout, you're not going to get anything. You have to, you have to want it and you have to put forth some type of effort. You know, you can't just sit back and just say, well, you know, you got a lucky break because of blah, blah, blah. No, no, you really have to just, you have to want it and you have to go after it because no one's feel sorry for you. No one, no one, everybody looks out for number one, you know, themselves. And you want it bad enough, you can get it, but you have to stay diligent and your sphere of influence is very important. If you have negative people in your life and they're trying to, you know, shut down your dreams and stuff, I remember everybody and their mother told me I was wasting my time and money for real estate. And they're like, Chris, you'll never be successful. You're just a kid. You don't know this. Uh, in the very beginning, it was all about like my education. I only had uh, two and a half years of college, and it made me very insecure. Now, you know, I go to a bank, and my bank is going to ask me, you know, what, what kind of a degree do you have? I mean, it, it, it's just amazing. Like, the little things that used to stress me out, it's just a joke now. Like, it's irrelevant. And so, you know, if you really focus on just you and making the best version of yourself and running your own race and not worrying about what other people are doing, and how other people are making money, like, you know, cheer them on. Like, don't, don't be a hater, you know, just focus on you and become the best version of you. Don't be a cheap imitation of somebody else. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Chris, are you a member of an investment club? You've mentioned wholesaling and bird dogging and things like that. Uh, are you in a, a member of an investment club? Is that how you've made a lot of these connections? No. I just honestly, word of mouth. Um, you know, I... Uh, I branded my name. I mean, I, I've taken and made a legacy of, of our last name. And now, you know, my family's involved and it's great. And it's hilarious. People always ask me, Oh, so, you know, where's your dad? Um, uh, he started the company, right? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my dad's a petroleum inspector, you know, <laughs> he doesn't know anything about real estate. <laughs> and they still, to this day, I'm, you know, 30 years old. And they're like, there's no way you're the, you're the start of, you know, the Montavo name. They just don't believe it. And uh, I really don't care. I mean, I just just run my own race. I have a beautiful, amazing wife, beautiful daughter. I'm very blessed. You know, I'm healthy. I, I feel God's presence, you know, every day. And I have a peace every time I sleep at night. You know, I, I can't ask for anything more other than just continued success and just a fulfillment and no void, you know, in my heart. I want to be right. I want to get back like, that's so short. My uncle just died and he was too young. He was 61 years old. It's just absolutely nuts. Puts a lot in perspective. So going back to your question about clubs and all that, I don't have time to go to investment clubs and, and do all that. Like, you know, when I'm not working, I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with my family because I am a workaholic and I work all the time. I mean, it's just, it's never ending, but I enjoy that. I love my work. I also love my family, family and, never want them to feel neglected. So I got to balance that. 
Chris, it sounds to me, if I were to kind of summarize what I've heard so far, is that if you get excited about something, you want to learn about it or go into it, and you self-educate, and you surround yourself with people who have already been doing it. And if you're good at it, you'll continue. If not, you're going to find somebody to fill that niche for you, to be that specialist or expert in that area. And then you're going to go ahead and pay for their experience uh, to run things like you did with the property management, you did with the social media. Is that part of your formula for success? Yes, sir. You mentioned rich dad, poor dad earlier and the leverage that you can gain. I assume that that's where you may have first seen that and as well as some of these early mentors. You know, I'm not a real big reader, but I'll, I'll never forget reading that book. That was a life-changing experience, reading that book. And I vaguely remember how he was talking about how his wife wanted a Mercedes. He said, okay, I'll get you a Mercedes. However, the same money that we're going to invest as a down payment on this Mercedes, we're going to buy a house and generate the income from this rental house to pay for the Mercedes payments. And uh, I just thought that was fascinating because... Like filling two birds with one stone. You have an asset and your car is being paid. So, I mean, I applied that. And for years, my cars and my houses were all being paid from by my rentals. Well, then until I started buying a bunch of land. <laughs> land eats money. So, <laughs> you know, you create those streams of income to pay for your everyday spending. And now, like, my uh, commissions and stuff, that, all that is just, I don't even, I mean, I, I just, I just, reinvest the money. Like I keep my account and my money working all the time. You know, I'm not one of those guys that to put a bunch of money in the account and watch it every day. Like, yeah, I'm doing all right. No, no money grows wings and your account will diminish inevitably. Money does not grow in the bank period. And so I stay lean, you know, I stay, I stay invested heavily. And I mean, gosh, I got to come up with, uh, pretty heavy six-figure amount in uh, Advalorian taxes, but, you know, I'm blessed enough to have to come up with that, if that makes sense. A question I have for you on these rentals that you have, are the majority of them in the lower price range, the middle price range, the upper price range? A lot of people think that if you're in the lower price range, you get great cash flows. Upper price range has great appreciation. Do you have any preference for one or the other? That is an Excellent question. And to answer that question, it's a little bit of both. But I like to hold properties that are valued maybe 120000 and under. Now, granted, you know, you start dealing with C and D class properties like the $20,000, $30,000 houses, you can have, you know, a little bit of trouble. But if they're in the right areas, that's what honestly keeps me afloat. Are those my formula? now um, is three bedrooms because, you know, I have a, a mentor that has 400 free and clear owner finance notes out and all he does is just collect monthly. Can you imagine on 400 notes? He puts them on a 40 and 50 year amortization schedule. It's unbelievable. And my goal is to be like him, but the better version with double the assets. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, um, he's self-made and, you know, he got there, uh, work and dedication, but you don't want to have too much high-end properties because they won't cash flow. Rule of thumb, let's just say I live at a house that's worth 120 grand. I buy it for 60. I put about 15 into it. So I'm in this thing for 75,000. Okay. Okay. 75 grand. 
and uh, I can get all day long $1,200 a month. And it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, brick home, 1,300 square feet, perfect little shotgun house, right? How much do you get a month? No, 1200 in income. But you, you got to keep in mind, and I learned this in the CCIM, take the uh, ad valorem taxes. So the first year, I'm going to beat that, uh, you know, if it's assessed at 100 grand, I'm going to beat that down to 60, the acquisition price. But I try to maintain it in the 80s because you get the assessed value on that property, you're getting taxed 2.65% of what the city thinks your property's worth. So you want to keep it as low as possible and fight it every year. So let's just say on that particular property, I average out paying 1000 a year in insurance and 1200 a year in taxes. So 1200 plus 1000 that's 2200 okay? Mm-hmm. If I'm getting on that property 1200 a month times 12 months in a year, 14400 subtracted by 2200 and then subtract probably another... $500 from miscellaneous taxes, okay? That's 11700 net. Then you divide that by what you're in it for at 75000 My cap rate is 16%. Anything over 8% is great. I'm getting cap rates on, there's A, B, and C class properties. On A class, that's newer constructed. You're not going to have, you know, bird maintenance, any of that. You're not going to have any problems with them but you're going to have a lower cap rate. So people are buying, let's just say, apartment complexes with, you know, hedge fund money, and they're completely content with a six cap or a seven cap because the money's parked and they're making at least six or 7% return on their money. On B class and C class, especially like C class, like the lower, lower end properties, you want to make a 30% spread on your property because there's a lot of deferred maintenance and there's a lot of miscellaneous repairs that need to be done. But once you get a system in place and you have a, you know, you got a good contractor that, you know, a helper that can fix these properties up or just a good management company that can manage them, then they're excellent. You know, you can, you can collect houses pretty fast. I like to buy minimum three-bedroom houses, slab foundation in certain areas of town that the assessed value each, you know, tries to maintain and stay under 120. If I had uh, the same house, for example... Same cash flow, however, it was worth 180000 on the south side of town, very desirable area. And, you know, I tell all my friends, oh, look at my nice portfolio. I got nice, awesome, clean, great houses, blah, blah, blah. But I'm still getting the same amount of rent. That cap rate now turns, my assessed value is at 180000 Multiply that by 0.26%. My taxes annually are $4,680. Guarantee my insurance is about $2,500. Now we're at $7,180. Okay? Take that $1,200 a month times 12, less $7,180 rounded up to $7,500. Okay? Now I'm making net $6,900 annually. You divide that by the acquisition of, like, let's say that particular property. Let's say I got a good deal on that $75, right? Now my cap rate is 10%, which is still good, but there's two approaches. You now have... Oh, actually, you would have paid more for that, huh? That's my fault. I'm sorry. Well, well sometimes I get lucky and I, and I pay less for them, but you don't want to hold them too long because I went from 16% return on my money to almost half. Those are good because I have equity in them and I 
sell them in the future and, you know, make my money and whatnot off of them. So they're great just to hold temporarily. You don't want to keep them in the portfolio too long because it'll catch up to you. So, for example, if I were to buy that same exact house dollar for dollar or 90 cents on a dollar, my cap rate would be, I mean, if I were to buy it, let's say for $140,000 and I'm thinking, oh, well, I have $20,000, $30,000 in equity, the return on my money is 5%, 6%. It just diminishes. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They, you know, they inherit money or, or they cash out on their 401k and they're like, all right, they'll go to a realtor and they'll say, all right, now invest my money. First thing the realtor will do is just, honestly, they'll, they'll just, uh, whatever, you know, realistically, they get them into something that's 90 cents on the dollar, that's uh, conservative, and uh, they get them, you know, 7% return on their money. But with these houses, I'm just a little spoiled. I don't like getting that type of return because you still have, over the course of the life of the house, you're still going to have per maintenance. What's the average price home in Corpus Christi? About 160 about 160. So you're looking for investment properties that are below the average. You said 120 or below. Yeah. I like to pay all in, no more than 90. After that, then it's better potential flip or a wholesale or, you know, I just, uh, I don't like paying. Um, if I pay dollar for dollar for every property, uh, I'd go bankrupt. You got to keep in mind. Let's just say I'm Joe Schmo and I own 100 houses. If there's leakage of $200 a month uh, because after I make my payment and because my taxes are high and my insurance is high and my maintenance and all that stuff is high, if I'm losing just 200 here, 200 there, what's $200 times 100 houses? That's $20,000 monthly. Yeah. That's enough to take you down. And a lot of people don't take that into consideration. Is there a minimum cap rate that you're looking at to keep it? And if you don't have that, then you're going to flip it? 15%. About 15%? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, you know, I got rid of all my higher end houses um, because the cash flow just wasn't there. I mean, it was great to say, oh yeah, I own this house on this street. And they're like, Ooh, you know, is it such a nice, you know, no, no, no. The only reason why I kept them is because, um, after a year, my capital gains go from 35, you know, to 15%. That's a huge jump, a lot of money. And so you hold them for a year and then you sell them. But, uh, yeah, I learned the hard way. 2011, I paid the IRS, oh my gosh, six figures. It was a heavy six figure amount and damn near cried, you know, and I thought to myself, am I working for free? You know, I'm putting in all these hours <laughs> and I, I, I honestly, sincerely thought, yeah, I'm working for free. And then I had these, and nothing against, you know, um, Checkmate renters or anything like that. But, you know, I had these little, you know, these ladies calling me up saying, oh, well, what do you have available, Chris, for rent? I'm second eight overall. And I'm like, well, I have this house, this house, this house. And she's like, um, I don't like that area of town. I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, the government pays your bills. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're so privileged. You know, I'm giving you a bone and you're telling me how it tastes. And, and it's un believable how many people are like that i see them every day do you take in section eight tenants then yeah but like i said i have i i have you know a group of girls that run that part of my company and then you know i have my bookkeeper that uh overlooks all the accounts and makes sure no one's stealing i mean 
I got, I got a pretty good system, but I mean, there's always something. And, uh, all I can pray for is just wisdom and, uh, you know, good mentors. I only have now, um, two main partners that I do big stuff with, but other than that, I'm not a big fan on partnerships. Uh, I don't recommend them. It's a recipe for disaster. You know, uh, I just, I got lucky with a very godly man on one end and then on the other one, just a very smart, aggressive, uh, I mean, kind of opposite, you know, but, uh, the majority of all the stuff that I have is, I, you know, by myself or with my wife and I, uh, I don't believe in divorce or anything like that. And, uh, I have a very, very healthy relationship with my wife and very, very blessed to have her. So she's my partner. I don't believe in any type of partnerships per se. I think it's a recipe for disaster because someone will always feel like they're pulling more weight. You mentioned that you built your own management company initially. Was it hard to find a management company that worked in the the lower end? Is that why you built your own first? The reason why I did it and how I did it was my first investor, uh, I sold him nothing but C and D class properties and he quit his job. <laughs> he hated, he was a tech he was a uh, computer tech and uh, he had a great job. He uh, was making a, an excessive amount of money um, and, uh, you know, I encouraged him to get his license. If there's one thing I can't stand is when you know, people are like, oh, you know, I want to get my license, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear an agent discourage them from doing it because they're insecure that uh, there's not enough pie to go around. I mean, that's just so horrible. So I encourage everybody, hey, you know, you can save money. You know what you're paying me. I mean, I encourage it. But nonetheless, he was my first investor. I sold him a bunch of properties. He quit his job and he was bored. So he'd come around the office and he saw me all stressed out. I was like 19, going on 20. I'm just like, man, I'm managing like 30, 40 places for, you know, all my investors and myself. And damn near giving me a heart attack. <laughs> I'm too young for this crap. And he's like, well, let's start a management company. And I was like, you know what? If we start a management company, I don't want a penny. You can have it all. Just help me get out of this mess. And so he freaking jumped on that wagon quick. And sure enough, um, that's exactly what we did. And um, he, uh, yeah, bailed me out. And uh, to this day, he still charges me. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, why don't you take your portfolio back and just start your own management company, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, because it isn't broken. You know, the system is working with him. I think he's grown too big. So I wouldn't, I'm not adding, you know, more uh, rentals to his place of mine, but um, for what it's worth, the stuff that he has of mine, hey, he's doing a great job. So if it isn't broken, why fix it? Well, you're a very practical guy in that facet and that concept that if it's working, keep going. You've mentioned that a couple of times. And you mentioned before that made some big income. You've had some, some big tax bills. The question I have for you is, I assume you get a lot of depreciation out of these properties that you own. And the second part of the question is, have you uh, taken advantage of the real estate professional exemption with the IRS? Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, at the end of the day, the, bank, the banks want to see that you're making money. You know, if you're not, you're not making money and if you're not... Um, 
And if you're not showing it, and if you're not paying your share to the IRS, they're not, they're not going to take you seriously. You know, I see these agents that write everything off, and it's like, you know, why why are you doing that when you can literally um, just do it the right way? You know, I mean, you have plenty to write off, but you know, at the end of the day, like, you got to pay your taxes. You know, you you got to show that you're making money, uh, or these banks aren't going to take you seriously. And uh, I had a mentor that that taught me that. My first partner, actually. And uh, it was one of the best things um, I learned from him because, yeah, the banks, they'll laugh at you if, uh, if they don't see, you know, any type of uh, growth. Now, you mentioned one other thing, Chris. You said something earlier about a CCIM. Do you have your CCIM? I'm two classes short uh, from the CCIM. I mean, I have the, I have the designation, but um, the actual certificate... I, um, I'm just pretty much a test away. It's something I did a long time ago and, uh, I have my uh, property tax, uh, consultant license. Um, that's another facet, uh, that I squeeze my way in, which is really good. I help, uh, commercial investors, uh, fight their taxes and stuff and I don't charge them. I just, I just do it for free. You mentioned your journey and how at one point you really got into REO and it blew up. At this point in time, what percentage of your business is still REO? Maybe 30%. It's slow across the board. The government, they don't, they don't want um, everybody to, to feel like, you know, the market crashing and, and all that. I mean, they, they're withholding from foreclosing on a ton of properties. But uh, it's been like that for a long time. And that's just, uh, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're hiding a lot of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, they're doing it on purpose so that people will buy retail when you think about it. That was the case. I mean, I know of a lot of properties that um, are in REO status that have been stagnant for, you know, over a year. Well, Chris, when you list an REO property, are you able to purchase it? No. That's a big no-no. And, uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't uh, dance around those fields. The, um, you know, some people have been known to, but it's just not worth it for me. So you look out at the other REO listers in your market and look at their properties if you were going to buy an REO? Oh, yeah, I can buy theirs. But my own inventory now, I stay away from. And so you built up a pool of investors that you could present these REOs to as well as the whole market when they come available. Is, is that how you're making the connection there with all the investors as well? Exactly. They'll call me and then I get them psyched up about the property and uh, then we connect and everybody wins. You've also mentioned you're constantly on the lookout for great investments. I assume that, that there's two benefits there. One, you find a great investment, you can buy it. If not, then you can turn to your pool of investors and present it to them. You know, it's getting to a point where like, uh, you know, I've been very blessed to purchase uh, this abandoned hotel. It's uh, crazy. It's a monster rehab. And so I'm going to be pretty focused and busy with that. So I, uh, I've i been pretty much just pawning off a bunch of properties to my investors, and they're loving it. And, hey, more power to them, you know. I, uh, I know there's plenty to go around, and um, that's just my mindset. I, uh, I encourage, you know, uh, people to invest and make money. And, you know, this is one guy, so almost a hundred houses a year or two on average. I mean, it's crazy. 
Wow. One guy buys 100 homes a year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I never get greedy with him. Like, he knows if, I, if it's a wholesale deal, rule of thumb is I do not mark it up more than, you know, three or $4,000, period. I don't care if it's $200,000 a house, whatever it may be. And uh, I'm not going to risk, you know, getting my hand slapped and losing that relationship over peanuts. Explain that to the listeners. What does a wholesale mean? There are people that don't know what that means. A wholesale deal is something, let's just say there's, okay, every town you go into, you see these signs that say, you know, real estate apprentice needed, or you can make X amount a year, blah, blah, blah. All that is is a wholesaler. You go to these seminars, they get you all hyped up, and they teach you how to find these absentee landlords and these boarded up houses and these properties that are inherited and whatever maybe for these wholesalers and you know half of them aren't even licensed they'll go and they'll pretty much find um the property owners and these people and then they'll lock it up under contract um and then they'll bring it to an investor or they'll bring it to me and they'll say hey um here's a deal you know i want to make uh, x amount on it and because they're an investor and they don't have the money to close on it or the means to close on it, then I'll buy the contract from them. But you got to be very um, careful how that's done because, you know, uh, a lot of people, especially if they're not licensed and stuff, like I don't pay like any type of like commission or anything, but um, a lot of times they uh, will put their fee on the settlement statement and pretty practical. Some of them, they try to get greedy and knock it out of the park and, you know, all you can do is just slap them on the hands. But, uh, nonetheless, the, uh, those particular deals, I'll buy them or even if I don't buy them, then I can connect them to my investors and say, Hey, you know what? Wholesaler brought me this deal. I'm not really interested. Uh, why don't you pay me just a commission on it and you can have it and I'll just give it to him. And that's it. Connect the dots. Ah, okay. So the, Bird Dog is making a, an assignment fee, and you would be turning around and bringing in an investor and just earning the sales commission. Or I'll just buy it and then just resell to my, uh, my guy. Keep it simple and clean. And so you have the capacity to do that? You have either a, a line of credit or just the ability to, to put a mortgage on it? Exactly. And then the next question is, well, you know, how do you have this line of credit? Well, you know, when the market was down and I bought all those properties, 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar, and now they're rentals, I bundled them up and pledged them as collateral to establish a line of credit strictly for purchasing properties. And just so long as you stay, just so long as you stay disciplined and you don't blow your cash and you don't treat it like ordinary income, then you're solid. So you collateralized them and you have a line of credit on them and I assume you try to keep it clean. So you, you put money on that line just temporarily, maybe for 30 or 60 days and you immediately pay it back down? Immediately, no matter what. Um, you cannot spend uh, that money. I mean, and if you do, all you're doing is robbing Peter to pay Paul. Do you mind if I ask how big is that line? You know, um, it's amazing because, you know, I tell everybody, all it takes is one deal to make or break you. And, uh, you know, you can come across the deal of the century. Like, I think the best deal I've ever purchased was 
I mean, that's been amazing, multiple deals, but probably recently uh, there was a commercial deal, an old theater, I bought 20 cents on the dollar, but nonetheless, like, for example, back then I had bought this house for 50 grand and it was worth 150 and I rented it out. And then that, for example, paid to the bank, the bank says, okay, let's order an appraisal, order the appraisal. The appraisal comes in at 150. So the bank feels comfortable doing a line of credit, 80% loan to value. So 150,000 times 80% is 120. So now my 50 grand just essentially went from 50 to 120 at my disposal, but I have it at a zero balance and I only have it at my disposal when I need it. That's the key. So I'm cash flowing and, and even when I'm using the money, my rental income is paying for that interest. So you, I assume, have enough on these lines of credit to go out and purchase multiple properties with cash, which you then would turn around and either flip or refinance your cash back out. Exactly. But, you know, it would be virtually impossible for me to buy everything. It is impossible to buy everything. And uh, with that said... um, the wealth, you know, spread it out. I, uh, it is impossible for me to buy everything. I mean, no offense, but that, that, that's just it. So whenever I'm at full capacity, pass it on. You know, Chris, I think I have to ask a, again, because people are, are going to be really curious. How are you purchasing properties at 20% of fair market value or 30, 40, 50% of fair market value? How are you getting these giant discounts on these properties? You know, if you go into these properties, um, you have to genuinely, for one, you don't disrespect anybody and their house if they let you in. Two, you stick with a formula, 70 cents on the dollar, less material defects. So if the assessed value, I mean, the first thing they're going to say is, well, you know, the city says my property's worth 100 grand. Like, okay, I understand that. Let me explain my formula so you don't get offended. Once I explain this formula, they're like, oh, that's really smart. So now I'm not going to get pissed off if you quote unquote lowball me because it's not a lowball. It's a calculated decision and he's not going to beat it up on inspections and he has a good name, blah, blah, blah. So from there, first question I ask is how much do you want for the property? What is the ideal situation? You know, he who speaks first loses. It's all chess. A lot of them will be content with a certain amount and they'll tell you, great. Then you negotiate from there. Or a lot of them, will, a lot of them are smart, and I mean they're all smart. Don't get me wrong. It's just a lot of them will say, "Well, that's why you're here. Make an offer." But then I, I just go. If uh, the conversation had started off with, you know, Sudi says my house is worth hundred grand, I say, "Okay." Typically, I'd go seventy, but your roof needs to be replaced because I noticed uh, your shingles are falling apart and you have a rusted flashing. So I think that's going to be about eight thousand. Um, I noticed over here your plumbing's cast iron, um, but I don't see any cracks in the walls, so it looks like your foundation's okay. But uh, to do a full-on reroute, on average, it's going to run about 11000 So typically, I would offer on this, uh, let's round up fifty to 53000 I went on a $100,000 house, maybe it's worth one hundred and twenty fixed up on that 50000 And they're like, well, yeah, that's low, blah, blah, blah. Can you do 60? And then we start negotiating. I'm like, okay, well, why don't we be in the middle of 55? Keep in mind, I'm not going to do any inspections. 
and buy it cash as in next time you see me, we'll be at the top of the And then they're happier than the kid in the candy store. And that's it. Do these people usually own their home free and clear or do they have a mortgage that you have to work around? It seems like such a large discount for most sellers. That's just an example. And a lot of them, no, they don't own free and clear. A lot of them inherit properties. A lot of them uh, are going through foreclosure. A lot of them, um, you know, are going through a nasty divorce. And a lot of them are just like, man, I hate this house. My husband had an affair in it, but I just want to get out. And I'm like, look, relax. Don't get all emotional. Let's be realistic. I got a plan A, B, and C. If we can't come to an agreement, then let me at least tell your house uh, retail and we can get more money if you want more money for your property. And a lot of people like that idea. They're like, well, I know I can get more money for the property. Well, great. Let me help you. So they're like, really? You want to help me? And I'm like, yeah, I own a real estate brokerage. So I then get the listing. So if I can't buy it, I just list it. Well, it's still somebody else. Or, you know, there's always plan A, B, and C, you know? It's just uh, it's all a matter of, you know, what, uh, what they want to do. And you're putting yourself out into that stream by first your reputation. People know that you're out there. But for the average person who owns a home, they may or may not have heard of you. And, and they're bumping into you because of the bus bench ads or the internet ads. What do the bus bench ads say? Let me just ask. What's the couple of words on that bus bench that's attracting them? We buy houses cash, you know, cash offer in 24 hours, just simple, clean, easy, uh, and to the point. Your business has grown now where I assume you're getting a lot of past clients, sphere of influence, repeating referrals. Do you f- focus on that into the business? Do you, do you go after those folks as far as trying to stay in front of them and uh, let them know that you're around to do uh, additional business? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I try and, you know, a lot of them, you know, they uh, are either loyal or they're not. I mean, you know, some people, they feel they can get a better deal if they go directly, you know, with uh, the Builder Direct. I mean, at the end of the day, I can't make everybody like me. I can't make everybody use me. I can't force anybody to do anything. So all I can do is just um, be the best version of myself. And they're loyal, they'll stick. If they're not, then they won't, but I'm not going to give them a hard time about it. I'm not going to stress myself out about it. I'm not going to say, man, you know, all my clients, they don't like me. No, honestly, I don't even know if my clients like me. <laughs> I just give it my all, you know. I, I sleep well at night because I know I'm not screwing anybody over. So, I mean, to answer that question, it's, it is what it is. I, uh, I get a lot of business. I'm, you know, I just, uh, if people, you know, are unhappy with my performance, then they won't use me. Chris, do you have a database of past clients and sphere of influence? And then do you have a formal marketing plan to go out to them, say, with a letter once a month or an email once a month or a phone call once a month? Do you have a formal plan like that? No, not at all. (laughs) All you need is five whales. Five whales, take extra care of them. They will make and bring the business. They will bring you friends, clients. I mean, they will make their friends use you. It's amazing how much business I get from my sphere of influences. So instead of going out there, stressing yourself out, trying to get a thousand clients, have these other people work for you. Have them bring you the, the clients, deals, you know, make it easy on you. And the only way to do that is to do good, clean business. 
When you say five wells, that sounds like some raving fans, people that are so excited about you, they're going to refer everyone to you? Oh, yeah. It could be a pastor of church. It could be a, a big investor. It could be you know somebody that's heavily connected and influential to the public. Do you do special things to stay in front of these five people? Do you take them to lunch once a week? How are you making sure that they're going to continue that relationship? They're close friends. A lot of them are investors, and, and I take care of their, their investments. And, I mean, a lot of them are just genuinely, you know, just good people, and I keep tabs. But, you know, when you get older, your, your circle gets smaller. And, you know, it's, you know, you don't have hundreds of friends like you did in high school or whatever. I mean, we all get busy. But I make a point to do everything I can to reach out. Let's switch gears and talk about your team for a second. The people that are helping you put together these transactions, could you do us a quick favor and, and walk us down the list of the people that are on your team? I know that a lot of them are independent contractors because I just do a, you know, a split on a percentage of the commission. But um, with the REOs, I need a runner. You know, I need someone out there to take pictures and keep me updated. I mean, these banks are trusting me with these properties. So I have one of those guys. I have a right hand that runs to the uh, REOs and the foreclosures, and that's, that's a full-time job all in itself, you know, updating the BPOs, property status, you know, closing, uh, bookkeeper looking out for the money. You know, people like a foreman, you know, um, running my job sites, making sure contractors aren't stealing, making sure the job's getting done. An assistant, a uh, secretary, I mean, people, people that can answer the phones for me that and put out fires for me. I mean, people that sincerely have my best interest at heart, people that handle just tenants, people that handle just listings, just buyers, divide them up. So you have a couple buyer agents, is that correct? Yeah, I have two that are kind of right hands that I trust with my personal um, leads that are highly qualified, that have their own leads and their own business, but they help me with my people because I know they'll get it done. Do you also have a listing agent who helps list the properties? Yes. Uh, thank you for walking us through the team there. Are you profitable? Your real estate brokerage side of your business, are you profitable? You know, it pays for itself. I don't think uh, brokerage is designed to make money. I think you're designed to make money. And uh, I make my money off of my investments. You know, off of the actual real estate brokerage, um, I don't believe there's uh, money to be made. And if so, you're going to be babysitting full time. Now, your real estate team, the folks that are helping you buy and sell all these homes, has that been profitable for you, that group? Yes, but not to an extreme, only because I share a percentage. Um, Heck, I still give. 20% 20% of everything I make to back in the company. But by doing that, I can do everything and dabble in every other facet of the industry. So I don't mind making less, but spreading myself out more conservatively and making everybody happy. Just looking again at the sales team side, just your team there, would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is? If uh, $100 came in in GCI, gross commission income, how much would pop out the bottom that you would get a take-home? You know, the take-home on the commission side, 
I think, oh gosh, I, uh, I think we're gross, you know, annually, you know, close to that 900 million mark, but after all the expenses and the, you know, the shares and all that, I mean, I'll probably make, I don't know, like 350 out of that. Um, and then after, you know, you take into account all my other expenses and stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's not like an astronomical amount like people think. The astronomical amount that the good money comes from the investments. I mean, the other forms of income. Um, this is just what the, this is what keeps the wheels turning. And by keeping that presence in the marketplace and keeping my name out there, it gives me the exposure. So when people want to sell their house, they think of me or my company. And so I don't mind making less in lieu of that. Yeah, Chris, I just ran those numbers real quick. Looks to me to be around 30% or so uh, net out. Does that sound about right? Yeah, maybe a little bit less. But um, I make up for it on the other uh, facets. Of course. Well, Chris, what drives you? God has given me an amazing gift. Right now, it's my family. But it's living life, you know, trying not to worry, you know, following his word, trying not to just try to be the best version of myself. I, uh, I see so many lazy people and people on drugs. I mean, it's just, it's sad and it's horrible. And I, I wish everybody the best. And, you know, I'm just so blessed to be alive and healthy and here. And I mean, I'm not going to waste that. You know, I don't drink anymore. I've been sober for almost two years and it was the best thing I ever did. But I mean, before that it was, I don't even know how I functioned, you know, uh, with transactions. And it's just, I don't know. I, what drives me, honestly, is, is right now, my family. It's, it's just all about my family and and just building a legacy, building a name, you know. And when I die, I want to I die swinging. Chris, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Call and let Everybody you know that you're licensed, try not to hang out with realtors too much, only uh, people that can help you, and uh, stay away from negative people. People will inevitably be jealous. People will uh, try to demean you. People will discourage you. The best thing you can do is cut them out of your life and move forward. And it's sad because a lot of it can be your own family. And um, surround yourself with winners. You know, you don't want to be the smartest person in your circle. Yeah, it feels good to have everybody kiss your butt, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you're not growing, surrounding yourself with losers. You need to surround yourself with winners. And if the winners don't want to let you in, you squeak until they let you in. I mean, you bug, you bug them. I mean, you stay persistent, you know, keep going after it. But uh, your surroundings are so important. I mean, you know, you're, mental capacity, uh, anything that you can do in life, you're only going to be as good as the people you surround yourself with. And you hang out with dogs, you're going to get fleas. Well, Chris, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I believe so. You know, but you also got to keep in mind everybody's personality is different. You know, everybody has their own agenda. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that afford that information that, that don't want to share that they're, they're insecure in themselves, and even though they're successful, they don't want to 
spread that success. They, they don't want other people to do well. And it's sad because there's plenty of business to go around. Well, Chris, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I know everybody's different. You know, uh, everybody, everybody has their own religion. Everybody is, you know, everybody has their own story, their own background. I mean, personally with me, I very big Christian, you know, I put my faith and, um, my faith in Christianity first. And, uh, that's honestly the reason for my success. It's anything's attainable. If, uh, you know, you give it 150%, I mean, if, if you work your ass off and you really sincerely, you know, want to be the best, you'll become the best. If you study and listen to inspirational, uh, tapes, and uh, mentors, and I mean, if you really, really sincerely go after and dig for that information, you will become what you filter through your mind. And so listening to motivational CDs, motivational people, motivational speakers, um, surrounding yourself with just good, solid people, um, it helps. And it, uh, it's like, you know, you are what you eat. The same thing goes with you are what goes in and out your ear. I mean... You're surrounded, you know, with, with people that just bash you all day and make you feel like a peon. I mean, you're you're not going to grow. You're not going to excel. You need to surround yourself with winners, people that want you to succeed. And if not, if you're your own cheerleader, then, hey, great. They'll come. Build it, and they'll come. And then you can cherry pick who you want in your circle. Well, Chris, you surrounded yourself with winners and became a huge success. And now people who want to win are following you. You focused on the investment side of real estate and developed relationships with investors. After immersing yourself in that world, you became a huge investor yourself and developed a large personal portfolio by analyzing and acquiring undervalued assets. Your focus on cash flow over prestige has resulted in a rapid growth and profitable portfolio. You've taken the lessons you've learned and applied them to new investors who want to build a long-term future. Everyone wins, including your sales team. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 100 homes last year by focusing on referrals and relocation. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
You've been listening to success calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.